Welcome to What the Food with Karen Van Barneveld. Much of the time, we mindlessly consume food without really thinking about what's in it and how it affects us. Not only is some food addictive, it also might be unsafe. On our program, you'll find the answers about why food is addictive, how it affects us, and how to find a safe route to better health. Now, here is your host, Karen Van Barneveld. Hey, this is Karen Van Barneveld with WTF, What the Food, where we tell all the little dirty secrets of what's on your plate. And here with me today to shed light on some of those secrets is Dr. Lisa Parsons, MD. Uh, Dr. Parsons attended medical school at Wayne State University in Detroit, Michigan. She went on to work in the psychiatric ER as a consult liaison on the medical floors and inpatient psychiatry at Banner Thunderbird Hospital in Phoenix. Dr. Parsons moved to Prescott, Arizona to serve as medical director of Northern Arizona's largest community mental health center. From there, she started her private practice, Integrative Core Wellness, which combines psychiatric approaches and functional medicine for an integrative and holistic approach to treating psychiatric illness. She is now Medical Director of Reflections Recovery Center and Northern Arizona Center for Addiction, where she uses a holistic approach to determine and treat root biological contributors to addiction and psychiatric disorders. Thank you so much, Lisa, for joining me today on What the Food. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure to hear your voice. It's been a long time. And let's it just has. dive right. Yes, it has. Let's just dive right in. You mentioned to me at one point that magnesium deficiency is caused in large part by farming practices that deplete the soil. Can you tell me a little more about that? Yes. So, um, since the advent of large farming, there are many things that have gone to the wayside. A lot of the wisdom that had been passed down on how to uh, responsibly farm the land has really gone to the wayside. So unfortunately, we have these big million dollar or million acre farms now that are um, using things like pesticides that are binding up the minerals that are in the soil. And so these minerals are now not available for the plants in the quantities they used to be available in. And thereby, we are also not getting these minerals in the quantities that we used to be getting them in. Uh, also, the, the soil is not being replaced the way that it needs to be replaced, meaning the nutrients being repleted as they should be so that they are constantly available for the soil the next time. Um, there is um, actually a study that looked at the amount of magnesium specifically that we have available for us now, and it's estimated that we're only getting around 20% or so of the magnesium from our foods that we used to get. And we used to be able to take in just from our foods alone about 500 milligrams of magnesium per day. And now, unfortunately, we're down to about 175 to 225 milligrams per day, which is really just not sufficient and ultimately leads to people becoming deficient over time. Yes. Well, that's, uh, that's commonly known as monocrops, right? And that's those exactly mono- right. Yeah, and those monocrops are 
they have been depleting the soil for, like you said, about 100 years. So we cannot physically eat enough fruits and vegetables to get what we need in, a, in our daily intake. So, and with, go ahead. Yeah, that's correct. And I think that this is reflected in the supplement industry that we have that's booming up now. There is a need to get the nutrients that we're no longer able to organically get from our foods the way that we used to be able to get them. And there is, um, you know, there are researchers, doctors, regulators that are calling for our um our uh, food now to be supplemented. So things like grains, um, you know, we strip away many of the minerals in our grains when they're going through the, the process of being made into things like flour and such. And uh, so now there are regulators that are calling for magnesium to be supplemented, to be added to these products so that we're not seeing this slow decline in health overall from these deficiencies. You know, magnesium alone is responsible for helping with 700 to 800 different enzyme functions in the human body. And so this one simple nutrient has very far-reaching effects when it becomes deficient. That's crazy. So what effect does magnesium deficiency have on our mental health? Yeah, well, that's a big one. And, of course, uh, I'm a psychiatrist, so that does tend to be where my focus started when I began to look inside of uh, into what nutrients are actually doing for our bodies. Um, and that's something that you would think all doctors should be aware of, but unfortunately, that's not the model that we have in Western medicine. That's not the way that we're taught as doctors with our training when we're in medical school, when we're in residency. We're really looking at disease processes and looking at ways to treat them with medications and with surgery. So we oftentimes don't go back to our simple biochemistry and trying to figure out what are the building blocks that are necessary that need to be replaced so that we don't have these symptoms happening in the first place. So, you know, just in some statistics, first of all, about depression itself, it's actually one of the main causes of disability worldwide. About 300 million people are affected. Women are affected more often than men. Hmm. Uh, and oftentimes, the people that do have depression have this long list of other physical symptoms that have no apparent cause. And this becomes a real source of uh, stigma and uh, frustration on the part of both the person who is trying to find help and the doctors who are trying to help them because they just can't quite figure out with their knowledge base what it is that's actually going on. Uh, You know, each generation since the 20th century has actually suffered more depression than the previous one. And since World War II, the rate of depression has actually doubled. Wow. Um, there There was a research that was in the archives of general psychiatry that showed there's been a doubling of depression in women from 1970 to 1992. And of course, the use of psychiatric medications such as antidepressants has absolutely skyrocketed. Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to magnesium and depression, There are a couple of key things, and of course, this is just going back to simple biochemistry that all doctors were required to learn about when they were pre-med and then again in medical school. 
So magnesium is actually one of the very important cofactors in the production of serotonin. So if you're low in magnesium, then you're going to be low in serotonin as well. Mm -hmm. There was a 2014 paper that looked at the role of dietary factors in psychiatry, and this showed that low cerebral spinal fluid levels of magnesium is also associated with low serotonin metabolites and therefore low serotonin. Um, And they concluded in this paper that magnesium deficiency can cause depression, behavior personality changes, apathy, irritability, and anxiety. Mm. Uh, But also, magnesium and calcium uh, work in conjunction with one another. So calcium being obviously a very important element that we all need. But it's also very pro-inflammatory, and when its levels are too high, it leads to a hyper-excitable state. Magnesium, inversely, is, uh, is an element that obviously we all need, but this leads to a much more calm state. Magnesium also helps to regulate the amount of calcium that's in our body and going into our cells. And when people are deficient in magnesium, there's too much of an influx of calcium into the brain cells. And uh, this dysregulates the nitric oxide protection of our cells, and this leads to damage. And this particular damage can manifest as depression and anxiety. And it does have further reaching effects than that now. Um, going also to things like dementia and Parkinson's disease, other kinds of neurologic disorders. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a 1995 study that looked simply at EEG patterns. And uh, what they found was when people were magnesium deficient, they had a very hyper-excitable EEG reading. And when the magnesium was replaced, this went back to normal. And, of course, people Mm. felt so much better. Sure. So you wrote about its effects on HTN. What is HTN and why is that important? Oh, hypertension. Ah. So, yeah. So, um, you know, and this, again, highlights that magnesium has incredibly far-reaching effects within the human body because it is responsible for so many enzyme pathways. Um, With regard to hypertension, actually, uh, and it does go beyond hypertension, this goes into heart disease um, in general, hyperlipidemia, diabetes, and there seems to be um, a pathway here that, um, um, you know, is is shared between all of these different um, disorders. So... um, In 2015, there was a research review that it was done, uh, and it gives a long list of different diseases which are occurring in epidemic numbers, and and these these are quite varied, and they include ADHD, Alzheimer's disease, cardiac arrhythmias, asthma, type 2 diabetes, heart failure, hypertension, metabolic syndrome, migraine headaches heart attacks, preeclampsia, eclampsia, strokes. They also think it's associated with fatigue and muscle weakness and fibromyalgia, hearing loss, wow. kidney stones. So the, the effects are extremely far-reaching. 
this is all just there magnesium. Is, uh, this, this is, is all, all magnesium. just magnesium. Wow. It sure is. Yeah, magnesium is required for the smooth muscle of our arteries, of our vessels, to be able to relax. So when we have a deficiency and we have too much calcium, and these two work inversely to one another. When one is high, the other is low. So if magnesium is deficient, then calcium kind of runs amok. And uh, we end up with, unfortunately, the smooth muscle contracting more, and we have things like high blood pressure. Mm. Okay. Well, you um, talked about at one time how this is compounded when a person also has high free copper. Um, I was told by my naturopath several years ago that my copper levels were too high and that was knocking down my zinc. Does that sound familiar to you? It sure does. In fact, um, one of the trainings that I did was with Walsh Institute, and they're they're an amazing institute out in Chicago. And Dr. Walsh out there, uh, he is is, um, working off of the the previous work of one of his predecessors, Abraham Hoffer, who was actually the founder of orthomolecular medicine. And what has been discovered with their work is that high-free copper causes extensive problems throughout the body. And this was of particular interest to me as a psychiatrist because of its psychiatric implications. So when a person has high-free copper, essentially what is happening in their brain is they are pushing their dopamine pathway into norepinephrine. So dopamine levels are decreasing and norepinephrine levels are raising. And so when you think of low dopamine levels, you think of things like apathy, not really enjoying life very much, just putting one foot in front of the other. Also, some memory trouble, getting to the end of a paragraph and having to go back and reread what the par- and figure out what the paragraph was even about in the first place. When you think of high norepinephrine (laughs) levels, this is a very activating neurotransmitter. And so this makes people in this hyper-excitable state. So they may have insomnia, they may have anxiety, maybe panic attacks, maybe anger outbursts. This is also associated with postpartum depression. Um, kids that are diagnosed with ADHD, they typically have high free copper. And when you treat the high free copper, these things actually decrease significantly or they go away altogether. Dr. Walsh doesn't make any claims that he'll be able to get people off of all of their medications, but he might be able to. You can actually decrease Western medicine medications if the body is supported into optimal functioning. And yes, zinc is depleted when a person has high free copper. So a person actually requires higher zinc levels, but also antioxidants because high free copper is such a pro-inflammatory state within the body. And of course, that has extensive effects throughout the body when there is a pro-inflammatory state. Everything is sort of on fire 
in a pro-inflammatory state. So mm. insulin resistance is an issue, high blood pressure in general. People feel kind of foggy-minded. They might be more susceptible to things like migraine headaches and heart disease and cancers and and strokes, that kind of thing. So it's very important for this to be identified and treated. In my own practice, when people come in to see me, in addition to doing an extensive evaluation, the first thing I do is, number one, test their labs. I want to know what is happening within their biochemistry. I don't want to guess based on what their symptoms are. It's helpful, of course, to know what their symptoms are because I want to know how they're improving. But I also want to know what's happening in their body in the first place because I don't want to put Band-Aids on them. If I can help them by replacing or helping them with whatever imbalances exist within their biochemistry, then I can also decrease the amount of medications they have to take or maybe not even have to take medications in the first place. Mm -hmm. This has extremely far-reaching effects. The other thing that I do with people the first time that I see them is get genetic testing because I want to know how they metabolize medication in the first place. There's this tendency within psychiatry to collect symptoms and then put them on a medication that matches what might help with those symptoms. And that just shows how we haven't come far enough yet. And it is definitely up and coming that doctors are recognizing that they really need to work more on a personalized level with what specifically is happening within a person's biochemistry. So really understanding how they metabolize medication based on what their liver enzymes are, where they are active. So you get a list of exactly what medications will work for them, will not work for them, and you absolutely should never put them on. So you've heard likely of people being placed on psychiatric medications and then developing adverse reactions such as becoming much more anxious or suddenly they're agitated or they can't sleep or they might even become more depressed and even suicidal. So Dr. Walsh, now going back to the Walsh Institute, um, he has been able to figure out that there are um, states within the brain that can predict whether or not those adverse reactions are going to happen. And that is the methylation status. And methylation Mm. is this term that's all over the place now. It basically tells us, with regard to psychiatry now, it tells us whether a person is in a low serotonin and dopamine state or a high serotonin and dopamine state. And that makes all the difference in the world on how they're going to feel when they're given an antidepressant. So I personally, in my practice, don't ever start anybody on an antidepressant if they choose to be on one unless I know their methylation status so that I know I'm not going to induce anything like worsening depression or anxiety or any thoughts of suicide. Yeah, well, that totally makes sense to me. But that's where the functional medicine and integrative and holistic approach comes in, correct? Absolutely. And this is something that unfortunately is not yet taught in medical schools or residencies, to my, to my knowledge. Dr. Walsh has been able to speak at the American Psychiatric Association conferences to let them know that this is the work he's doing. 
And this is the kind of testing that anybody can do. He offers training programs for physicians so that they can learn how to identify and then treat these different conditions appropriately. So it is up and coming. More and more physicians are becoming dissatisfied with the approach that Western medicine has toward psychiatric illness, and they are seeking out these alternative ways of being able to help people. And these alternative ways are much more holistic. They're really trying to understand what's happening at the level of the cell, what's happening at the level of the neurons that is inducing these symptoms that we are then um, asking people for. Can you... Uh, just for the layman's terms here for me, can you explain methylation? Yes. So methylation is um, it's quite a complex process, actually. This, this essentially is uh, trying to understand how the DNA is being regulated. If a person is over-methylated, ultimately they're going to have a different serotonin and dopamine picture than someone who is under-methylated. So if a person is under-methylated, they're lacking in these methyl groups. These methyl groups are really important because they are basically covering up parts of the DNA so that it's not being replicated, meaning it's not being turned into the proteins that are then creating function within our body. And that's really important. There are times when certain genes need to be silent or, um, you know, times when they need to be more active. And the body has a very intricate system on how to regulate these things. So if a person is under-methylated, they really lack the capacity to regulate these things appropriately. One particular protein that tends to be produced excessively if a person is under-methylated is called the reuptake proteins. And these are Ah. located within the brain and they help to regulate the amount of serotonin and dopamine that are sitting between the two brain cells firing off of a connection or um, transferring a message between the two brain cells. So if there's too much um, of these reuptake proteins, then you have less amount of time for the, the serotonin and the dopamine to be between the two cells. These reuptake proteins are essentially these little vacuum cleaners that exist. So as soon as those wonderful neurotransmitters are put between those cells, those little vacuum cleaners go to work and they start sucking them up. But if you have too many reuptake proteins, then you just have a functional deficit of the amount of serotonin and dopamine that exists between those two cells. And what that looks like in a person is they feel tired, they feel depressed and sad. There's not a lot of sunshine in their outlook on life overall, Mm. they might feel also very anxious and um, have a hard time just getting through the day. And and oftentimes they're angry at themselves. So they feel a lot of guilt. They feel a lot of shame, you know, things like, why can't I just do this? Other people seem to be doing this. That's Mm -hmm. sort of the internal dialogue that comes within a person. It really compounds the problem. So it's important to be able to see a physician 
that knows about these things can test for it and then treat it. These things have far-reaching effects. Methylation problems affect not only the serotonin and dopamine transporters in the brain, they affect a lot of other things as well. So this is something that really does need to be treated if a person indeed has it. Okay. Well, we're going to take a short break, but hey, listeners, you can find out more information about our discussion today at walshinstitute.org or pubmed.org or IMMH. What is IMMH, Lisa? Integrative Medicine for Mental Health. Okay. And also at drcarolyndean.com and zachbushmd.com. And coming up, we're going to be talking about what effects all this has with uh, working with addicts in recovery. So join us to talk about addicts in recovery with Dr. Lisa Parsons from Reflections Recovery Center and Northern Arizona Center for Addiction, where she uses her holistic approaches to determine and treat root biological contributors to addiction and psychiatric disorders. You will not want to miss this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. There is a difference in health and wellness programs. There can be mainstream programs, and then there is something extra. That something extra is called tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated. With your host, Kristen Harper. If you want to hear some behind-the-scenes talk radio when it comes to health and wellness, the why as well as the how, be sure to tune in each week. This show will inspire you to be healthy and happy for life, as well as become the best version of yourself. Listen Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you ready to live to 100? Join Dr. Joe Casciani and his program that shows us that age is just a number. You can age with fresh and inspiring perspectives, whether it's staying physically fit or keeping mentally fit. With great stories, plenty of advice about successful aging, and brighter outlooks, you just might join those who are living to 100. The Living to 100 Club is broadcast live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in every Tuesday for C. diff, spores, and more with host Nancy Kerala. Our program is to provide information about C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and more. Nancy is a C. diff survivor, healthcare professional, and founder and executive director of the C. diff Foundation. Together with her guests, we'll explore C. diff infection prevention, treatments, clinical trials, environmental safety, and more. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to What the Food. To reach Karen Van Barneveld or her guest on the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to karen at whatthefoodfilm.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to WTF, What the Food where we tell all the dirty little secrets of what's on your plate. I'm interviewing Dr. Lisa Parsons today, talking about psychiatry and addiction and how mineral deficiency ties in with that. And we were just talking about methylation and uh, high copper, high free copper, and how that affects oxidative stress and inflammation and a whole list of of things, and uh, I wanted to move on now to the fact that you work primarily with addicts in recovery. What does all that we've been talking about mean to an addict trying to stay, get, and stay clean? You know, this is um, this is definitely a subject that's very near and dear to my heart. Um, as I've been working in addiction for about the last four years or so, and of course I've been working in addiction since I've been a psychiatrist, uh, graduated in 2006, but really my focus has been in addiction for the last four years and diving into really understanding what's happening with people that suffer from this and why it's so hard to shake. And the beautiful thing about working in recovery is that when you When you remove the overlay of the addiction, this amazing person starts to come out and they, they're not able to show that side of themselves at all when they are stuck in addiction and they end up doing things that they are so very shameful for. They feel a tremendous amount of guilt and a lot of stigma. They feel marginalized in general within society and sort of cast aside, many of them don't feel they have enough worth as a human being to even get clean and do whatever it is that they want to do with their lives. So being able to help a person that feels that desperate and that low is truly a rock bottom. And to be able to help them to get their feet back under them again and understand what's happening within their body and how their biochemistry really truly is the lens through which they have been living their lives, it allows some of that guilt to slide off a little bit. And then they can start working on the healing that they do with the therapist, which which is such an incredible amount of work that they've got in front of them. But they need a clear mind to be able to jump into that kind of work. And so that's where I come in. I try to understand what's happening in on the biochemical level for them that has been perpetuating things like addiction and depression and anxiety or bipolar disorder or ADHD, whatever it may be, 
And so when they come in, I do a battery of tests on them. And they all kind of laugh because it's a lot of testing that I run. But I truly want to understand what's happening at the cellular level. So I'm looking for things like blood counts and kidneys and liver and um, thyroid and how their body is processing things like cholesterol, which oddly enough is associated with having an impact on a person's ability to stay sober, and things like how they're processing blood sugars, which obviously has an impact on uh, anxiety levels, and Mm. um, understanding what nutrients are deficient in their body. So looking for things like vitamin B and B12 and folate, and what's happening with their hormonal cascades, how is that um, dysregulated within their body and what can we do to support their body so that they can get back into a normal regulation. Looking at things like their adrenal function, many of them when they come in, their adrenal function is just completely shot because they have been under so much stress, both mm-hmm. chemically and also psychologically. Um, and oftentimes with regard to their food intake, many of them are not eating. Um, or they're eating very little, or what they are eating is just mostly junk food. And so their bodies are extremely depleted. There is this joke among people in early recovery that there's a certain amount of weight that everybody gains. And it's not just the normal weight that someone would gain when they start eating, but they feel ravenous, so they really eat a lot. Mm -hmm. And the reason they're eating so much is because their bodies are so nutrient deficient that it's triggering their brain, telling them, please give me nutrients. Unfortunately, many of them have some unhealthy patterns of eating unhealthy foods, and so they start eating those same foods again, which are nutrient deficient, and then they don't feel any better. And so programs that really focusing on making sure that they're eating whole foods, they're focusing on, you know, things that are not processed because the processed foods have a lot of minerals and vitamins stripped away from them. So they really need foods that are directly from the earth so that they can get that homeostasis back in their body. But then also I want to know where are they deficient because I want to personalize my treatment program specifically to what their body needs. So everyone is tested also for methylation disorders and heavy metal imbalances. And then we go to work. You know, we look at the test results together We go through it piece by piece. I educate them on exactly what's going on. Oftentimes, it's a a big aha moment for them because this is something that has been passed down through the generations. Nobody's been able to really understand why it's being passed down through the generations, but there's been addiction going on, you know, with um, dad or mom or grandparents or whoever it may be, or depression or anxiety that's been passed down through the generations. And to be able to show someone, look, here's what's happening in your biochemistry and here's what the research shows on what this particular biochemistry is likely doing to the way you are seeing yourself, the way you are seeing your place in the world is an extremely powerful thing. And then showing them, here's what we do. Here's how we are going to prop up all of these systems that are so depleted and replace all of these missing things in your body so that you're able to function much better. You can go to therapy and stay focused. You can get a good night's sleep. You know, Mm -hmm. things that have been missing for such a long time for people. And so oftentimes I put them on a whole lot of vitamins. Some people like that. Some people don't. 
It all just depends on where people are at. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's absolutely critical. And when it comes to magnesium itself, and of course, many of them are deficient in so many things when they come in. But when it comes to magnesium itself, um, magnesium is depleted when a person's body is under a lot of stress. The adrenal glands really require magnesium to be able to function appropriately on an ongoing basis. So when a person is under a lot of stress, they get depleted. And if they're depleted, now they can't do the repair work in their adrenal glands to get back up on top of the stress that might be coming next time. And what Mm -hmm. that feels like for a person is lack of resilience. They just feel like, oh, I can't take one more thing. Not one more thing can happen or that's it. It's all going to fall apart. Mm. And, uh, you know, like I said, when people come in, they're at their rock bottom. So they need their resilience because they've got a lot of rebuilding in their life to do. So getting them on that alone does a lot of work inside of their adrenal glands, but it also helps to support the GABA pathway in the brain. And the GABA pathway is so critical to allow people to feel calm and rest their minds so that they can then fall asleep. Many of them are so anxious all throughout the day, and they'll say, I don't know why I'm so anxious. There's nothing happening right now, but I'm just (laughs) constantly anxious. Well, their bodies are in such a hyper-excitable state. Like I mentioned earlier, there's this inverse relationship between calcium and magnesium. When you have a lack of magnesium, you have a lot of calcium. We do have a lot of calcium in our foods, things like dairy products. And so we end up getting sort of calcium-rich, but we're magnesium-poor. And what that means inside of the body and brain is that we feel edgy and tense and we can't relax and we've got ramps in our, um, you know, our neck and our, our shoulders are tight and the calves are cramping up, things like irritable bowel syndrome, um, hyperexcitability of the GI system. So irritable bowel syndrome, the stomach is all cramped up. It can't necessarily digest the food appropriately. Mm-hmm. So there's such far-reaching effect. This one little nutrient, if nobody, if someone comes in to me and they are not willing to take this, all of these vitamins that I'm asking them to take, then I ask, will you please just take one? And if they say yes, I'll put them on magnesium because I know that this will probably have the most far-reaching effects for them. Mm-hmm. They need all the others as well, but not everybody is at the place where they feel Um, you know, that they want to take all of these things. Right. When I'm putting people on all of these supplements for things like undermethylation or overmethylation and high-free copper, what we're actually doing is working at the level of their DNA. It's called epigenetics. So we're we're working at the level of their DNA to change the way their DNA is actually being made into who they are. So giving them all these nutrients, if a person is undermethylated and they have a deficit in the amount of serotonin and dopamine in their brain, when you give them these nutrients, it starts to tone down those reuptake proteins. And so now they naturally have more serotonin in their brain, more dopamine in their brain. When you give them magnesium and other nutrients as well, now they're more able to make the neurotransmitters. And so it's this nice full picture. And I'm focusing in on the brain just because I'm a psychiatrist, but it has much uh, further reaching effects than just dealing within the brain. 
You know, this is helping people with their risk of things like heart disease and high blood Mm -hmm. pressure. Mm -hmm. When people come in that have been drinking a lot, they oftentimes have trouble with high blood pressure. Alcohol is a magnesium depleter. And so almost all of those people that come in that have been drinking too much alcohol, they are depleted in magnesium. And you can see it reflected in the functions that are happening within their body. Their mm-hmm. stomachs are, um, you know, not feeling very well. They oftentimes have very high blood pressure. Some of them have already got a history of having heart attacks or they have angina, um, you know, a whole slew of different things going on. And yeah. these all these different symptoms that are happening within the body or disease processes that are happening in the body, when you follow them upstream far enough, you're going to find the root cause. And oftentimes with these people, the root cause is just simply that they have depleted a specific or several different nutrients in their body, and it has this mm-hmm. very far-reaching effect into many systems. Yeah. Well, let's go back just a minute. You mentioned earlier... Um, they need to be eating foods from the earth. And my experience um, with recovery centers, most of them don't offer really healthy, um, nutritious food. It's a lot of processed foods and they don't have a whole lot of education about eating foods from the earth. And even if they do eat foods from the earth, they're not necessarily eating organic and non-processed. And so then we come into the problem of the chemicals again on your fruits and vegetables and that messes with your, your gut biome. So how do the recovery centers that you work with deal with the actual food component of recovery? That is a real tough one um, because People are at very different places when they come into treatment. Some people are all in. They are ready. They want to make these changes. And then others feel like, gosh, you know what? I'm giving up heroin or I'm giving up methamphetamines right now. I am not giving up my Oreos. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Same thing goes with things like smoking. You know, research very clearly shows if you quit smoking at the same time, you're much more likely to remain sober. But people are at different places. Some are all in and some are not. And so what I have found at, uh, I also have a detox center that I work at. And when we first started up, we tried really hard to give them organic, whole foods. We had a wonderful organization that was bringing it in. And what was happening was that people just complained and complained and complained because they didn't want it. They wanted things that were much more dense, unfortunately. And so we really found that we have to meet people where they are because there is an element of let's at least get them in the door. I mean, there are definitely people who won't come into certain places because they know that they won't be able to have certain things. For instance, um, cigarettes here in Arizona, if someone is under the age of 21, they cannot have cigarettes in a detox center. 
So people that are in that age frame between 18 and 21, some of them won't even come into our center because they aren't willing to give up being able to smoke. We'll put a patch on them. We'll give them gum, but they're, you know, not willing to give that sort of thing up. Mm. So it really depends on where people are at. At the Center's uh, Reflections and Northern Arizona Center for Addiction, where I am at, we have different levels of care, and when their levels of care change, they also have more and more freedom and flexibility. So when they're at their initial stage, when they're in the residential program, the food is actually bought by um, the facility. Some of that food is organic. The, the wonderful woman who does the shopping there for us, she does try to bring in, and she's a nutritionist, she does try to bring in whole foods and organic foods as much as possible. But she's also looking at a list of things that they are requesting that, mm-hmm. um, you know, that they get. And once they get into the different stages of their treatment, the step-down stages of their treatment, and now they are going out and doing their own shopping I, you know, I hear all too often that people are, um, you know, eating Top Ramen or, um, (laughs) you know, they got frozen food, frozen pizzas, frozen burritos, or they're drinking energy drinks. You know, these things that, gosh, if you just put someone in a functional MRI and you watch what happens to, um, you know, the neurons that are taking up. Uh, blood sugars, things like dopamine and serotonin, you can actually watch those neurotransmitters deplete as a person is taking those things into their body. So what it really comes down to is planting seeds. The people that are there, beautiful. You know, you just um, support them in that and give them more education on what, what more they can do or congratulate them and you know, tell them that you're so very proud that they're doing all of this for themselves. The people that are just not quite there yet, you plant the seeds and you let them know. You give them the information that's out there on how they can better support their future by paying attention to what they're putting in their body because these are their building blocks for their brain. Well, you, uh, at, at one point in our discussions, um, and just for our listeners, Lisa is the psychiatrist on the What the Food documentary medical team. Uh, at some of our meetings, you had uh, mentioned that you found some very interesting results in the methylation tests on a majority of the addicts that you were testing. Um, can you share a little bit about what those tests were showing, or is that a HIPAA violation? No, I definitely can share. Uh, as long as I'm not telling you about anyone specific, <laughs> I certainly can give you generalizations. So when I did the training at the Walsh Institute approximately four years ago, the people that we were evaluating, um, you know, their methylation was what I now consider to be mild or moderate. Um, But at the time, those levels that he was treating, uh, you know, he considered them to be fairly significant. After I left that training and I began to put this into practice myself, what I discovered was that the people that I was seeing were far more under-methylated than any of the people that I saw during the training over at the Walsh Institute. And so what this tells me is that when people are in active addiction, they are doing such damage 
to their body at the cellular level that their body simply cannot keep up. Everything becomes sludgy. Their processes, their cellular processes become very sludgy. Their mitochondria are not working the way that they should anymore, in addition to, you know, any number of systems. And so if you imagine somebody coming into treatment, having all these chemicals that have been put into their body, not only through the drug use, whether it's IV or smoking or taking them internally or um, just from the lack of nutrients that they have been putting into their body and the unfortunate uh, toxic burden that they've been adding into their body with some of the foods that they've been eating. So, you know, things like GMOs and the glyphosate and, or any other kind of pesticide that they may be taking into their body, which is sort of bombing their GI system, unfortunately. Um, it just creates this regulation in almost every system, or you might even say every system that is within the human body. And so when they came in, when they do come in, they are in really bad shape. And their ability to detoxify those things is uh, very hampered. And so they find oftentimes when they come in that they feel very lethargic and um, they can't think very well. They have brain fog. Uh, they're not sleeping very well. Their stomach might be hurting for a longer period of time than it should. Um, you know, all of these uh, little symptoms that um, they can't quite put their finger on and many doctors can't quite put their finger on either. You know, they'll just say, oh, give it some time, give it some time. Well, it turns out now that we know that there are these systems within the body that detoxify. And if these systems are not working appropriately because they're sort of um, sludged up, you know, they, their cells have not been able to remove the oxidative trash, apparent, uh, actually, from these different processes that are happening. So if I can just give you an analogy, it's kind of like someone working in a kitchen. If your kitchen is nice and clean, you can work within the kitchen very easily and get everything done. It's all kind of smooth. But if you're working in a kitchen that's cluttered up, um, you know, maybe there are boxes, maybe there's stuff all over the place, maybe there's food um, and dishes in the dishwasher or in the sink, and, you know, it's just a big mess. You can't really work in that kitchen very well, and the whole process takes a lot longer, and you may not have as good of an outcome in the product. Well, that's what's happening within the cells as well. You can't quite get the systems to move efficiently so that the outcome is going to be optimal. And so yeah. cellularly, uh, it's, all, um, it's all just moving slow. And so it takes a really long time for them to get to where they feel better. This is really problematic, especially in treatment, because a lot of treatment centers are only 30 days, or they might be 60 right. or 90 or 120. And so there's not a lot of time for their systems to get back online. And you really require optimal conditions to get everything back online quickly. So you require good, healthy foods that have a good amount of nutrients in them, organic foods, grass-fed bees. Um, you know, that's optimal. And supplements because this food probably doesn't have enough of the nutrients, as I mentioned earlier, to get you back up to functioning anyway. Mm -hmm. So if they come to the end of their 30 days and their, their cellular processes are still sludged up, then they're still going to feel kind of tired and lethargic and non-resilient. Mm -hmm. 
and they're not going to be sleeping well. And these are all risk factors for relapsing. Of course. Well, Lisa, do you have any advice about alternatives to what we would call Western medicine and um, just giving uh, somebody pills? You have any uh, anything in your toolbox to help people? Yes. You know what I would say to the listeners out there who either are suffering from addiction or any kind of mental illness or know someone that is suffering from addiction or mental illness, do your homework. Make sure that when a person is ready to get into treatment, that you get them into the right place. Make sure that you're getting them into a place that understands how to support the whole body. They're not just giving them a bed to sleep in and some therapy, which is beautiful. Those things are necessary, but we need more. It's not enough. We also need someone to truly understand what's happening biochemically and help them through these things so that by the time they're done with their treatment, they're going to feel better. They're going to feel like they are ready. They're going to feel resilient so they can go meet all those goals that they want to meet. I also don't recommend that people do a short treatment. 30 days is not enough. You know, the, the no. statistics are very clear. It's just not enough. There's a very high risk of relapsing quickly if a person only does 30 days of treatment. I recommend yeah. that if someone is going to do only 30 days, they get the right program. They make sure it's sure. a place that is aggressive at really understanding what's happening within the human body, and they are supporting the body as much as possible. Hmm. But if they're, you know, that's rare. That's hard to find. Uh, most of the time, you really need to find a place where they're going to be in treatment for, you know, three months or even six months in a step-down mm-hmm. kind of um, in a step-down kind of program, so that they begin to take off the training wheels of being yes. in a residential care setting, and they yes. start making their own decisions again, and uh, you know, shopping for themselves again, and hopefully, they've learned, they've got yes. all the education behind them that they need to understand how to take care of their physical body. They've also had time, uh, you know, after three to six months to really hopefully dig into trauma and do Mm -hmm. trauma work, things like somatic Mm -hmm. experience and EMDR, biofeedback, you know, things that really help them to reset the dysregulated patterns that have been developed over over the addiction. Alternative medicine, love it. All right, Lisa, thank you again so much for coming on the show and sharing your vast knowledge on health and wellness, especially from the brain standpoint. I want to remind listeners to like our show on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. Give us a five-star rating on voiceamerica.com. And as for What the Food, you can visit my website at whatthefoodfilm.com. Or you can visit Heavenly Yoga at Heavenly Yoga, that's with one Y.com to pick up either of my books or subscribe to my Anytime Anywhere yoga classes. You may also want to make a tax donation, tax deductible donation on the site of What the Food site, or join me for revitalizing retreat at Harmony and Heart Retreats in Gorgeous and Serene Sedona, March 21st in the equinox. Tune in next week for my interview of best-selling author of the book Whitewash, Carrie Gillum, when we talk about the politics and economics of 
big food. In the meantime, be kind to yourself. Thank you for joining host Karen Van Barneveld and What the Food. Be sure to tune in for another episode next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon.